10th episode of Ride of Your Life. I can't believe we are on episode 10. And I have someone really special here today, uh, Vanda. She has a company called V Pro Performance. And she does a lot of physio and track side bits and bobs. And having a conversation with her, I thought she'd be really amazing to have on. It's not about followers. It's not about like all the sparkly bits. It's about authenticity in the business. And you know what? I couldn't think of anyone better. And after pulling lots of teeth, we managed to get her on. So, Vanda, I'm so grateful to have you on our podcast. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. <laughs> I can't tell you how terrified I am. Uh, but thank you for making no, me feel it's, so welcome. It's you know brilliant. what? After the phone call we had, I was like, we need to have her on. We really need to have her on. Um, because that is something I really want to promote is people that you know, work in different areas of the business. It's not always about your following. It's not always about your um, the bells and whistles that come with it. It's about the things that you do that make an impact in the business. So mm-hmm. I would love you to start by telling us a little bit about what you do. Okay. Uh, so I'm a sports therapist and I treat the job, I, I, I treat the general public, but I have an arm of the business that's been set up a bit reactively, which is the VPro performance side. Um, and that specializes in the treatment of musculoskeletal injuries with motorcycle riders and racers. So essentially that just means that I offer... Um, normal uh, therapy and normal injury treatment and prevention and rehabilitation services but I also have and I feel very passionately about this most of all a side of the business that offers support and what I'm learning more and more even now having been in the motorcycle industry for quite a long time now but even now is that there's so many people who are coming a cropper because you're gonna it's gonna happen we're in bikes you're gonna come a cropper at some point who are really unsure about what to do yeah once they have a crash you have a crash you're hurt and you're kind of for so many people at the mercy of the nhs which goes so far and then leaves people a little bit high alone and dry and it's at that point that people are nervous or unsure or unclear about what their options are so i have a service where i offer crash support and that's an entirely free service if you fall off your motorbike if you get hurt you can ring me you can book and an that's appointment that's kind of how we connected us <laughs> <laughs> and i'll help you and i might not be the right person but i've been in i've been a therapist now for 16 years so i'm pretty well connected and i know where to go and i know where to look and i know what questions to ask to find the right person you and said you've been working quite a lot with um, quite big businesses as well in motorcycling so like what kind of companies what kind of things have you done to so you mentioned kawasaki um you've worked with quite a few brands yeah that's under a slightly different hat right so okay. outside of that my partner and i um are uh work for a company called Focused Events and right. we um, we run their UK track days so okay. we we run a, a number of Donington based at the moment track days for them and we also are involved in a lot of the manufacturer events so for example we do um, we provide administration and, and Dale does a lot of the lead guide riding and, and support um, for Kawasaki BMW Yamaha Wow, okay. So, so how did you get yourself so immersed? So what was the kind of route that got you into literally a life of bikes, basically? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a, an interesting route that you've got the the wellness side of things, yeah. the physio side of things, and then you've also got the, the events, the, the, the track days and oh, all of yeah. that. And to find someone so immersed in so many different 
branches that's yeah. quite unusual yeah 100 percent. and and i would say that it is quite unusual and it gives me a massive exposure to so many different things like um the difference it, there's just so much that i've seen now especially in the last four years having been involved with the events-based stuff and the manufacturer-based stuff and, and the track days that's that's a completely different side of the coin to being a track day rider yeah um so there is that side of stuff and that exposure to what the industry is like has been absolutely phenomenal and a real eye-opener and a huge learning curve there's been my own learning curve as a rider as well which has been quite interesting I suppose and it's been quite again quite a big trajectory Mm -hmm. and then obviously there is the VPRO performance side of things which is sort of tied in a little bit with the learning riding type stuff so I mean I passed my test in 2006 so I did quite a lot that first year you know but I'm gonna can I swear yes of course I'm gonna gonna, gonna (laughs) throw it out there right um I was a dick. I think I've already referred to myself <laughs> as a dick. So <laughs> going back, you know, however many years ago now, um, I had a chip on my shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, and I was I was an absolute liability. I was that person that thought, well, I'm a girl and I'm short. I want to show the whole world how capable I am. And I just <laughs> had an ego. And, you know, I've made so many mistakes. And I feel so ashamed of that now. I'm going to be honest. Like, I look back on it and I'm really ashamed of how I've behaved in the past and the arrogance with which I conducted myself back then. And I have to, I have to just meet it, you know, mentally. Yeah. I have to just meet that head on and go, well, deal with that. Like, yeah. you know, pull your big pants up and just crack on because you can't change it now. It's so, so strange you saying that because, I mean, having met you, I was like, she is like the sweetest, <laughs> most... <laughs> conserved woman I've ever come across because you were so lovely but you're like no 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 I don't want to come on the podcast absolutely not and I was like no but we have to have you on because you know I'm talking about bikers I'm talking about the industry yeah. and I, I mean everybody that we've had on has had such great experiencing experiences in bikes and cars mm. but it's been nothing compared to what you do so yeah. that's what was like wow okay there's a whole different area here yeah. that people haven't thought of people haven't heard of yeah. people might need to get tap into because like you say all of us come off somewhere along the line yeah. Yeah. um but it's just getting my head around the fact that so you were this uh, in your own words egotistic egotistical woman who yeah. was just like i'm a rider i'm i'm yeah. this this and this but yeah. then you've gone in such a loving way into the physio side of things and yeah. now you're a woman that stand, is the backbone of a lot of other things. So yeah, I think that's quite cool. But what made you, as that ride in 2006 to now, go, okay, I'm going to do physio and biking. What was that trigger? Because it's, you're quite passionate about that. Massively passionate yeah. about it. I feel very, very strongly about it. Um, in sh- so I, I, I had that period of time after I, I passed my test and I had interesting experiences, as we all do when we pass our test. And I, you know, I gave it Billy Big Bollocks and did all, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then I did, actually just had a break from bikes. I, for uh, the biggest reason I, I made, I had to make a choice at the time. My sister is uh, or was a, a, a rower. So I've also been heavily involved wow. in elite sport and I've been an elite coach with rowing. And we made the decision together that we would form Zambia because uh, so I should also mention that I'm half Zambian my father's wow, a Zambian citizen okay, wow. um, and we grew up in Africa so my sister and I decided that we wanted to 
to, to form Zambia's first rowing team. I mean, she was that going to trial as a, as a single scholar to go for the Olympics. And she asked me if I would coach her because I'd had some success at a sort of national-ish type level as a coach and done quite well. So with all due respect, you have every right to have a big ego. <laughs> if you no. did. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, but it's just a relative thing, you know. Yeah. For me, I was just a little small fish in a very, very big pond. And, um, and at that, you know, that was a, a sort of turning point because I'd had at that stage an offer to ride 125s, race 125s, um, or coach my sister at the Olympics or to an Olympic dream. And so I, I, mean, I went that way. Of course I did. So I then just didn't ride for... I sold my bike and didn't touch a bike really for about nine years, I think. Oh, wow. Then came back to it about four years ago when I bought my uh, K3 600 and went straight back into being a bit of a dick, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. So I had, I still had, I think, that chip on my shoulder a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I... Um, was just doing what I do and just getting on with it. And I uh, was um, seeing a guy at the time uh, who said, well, let's do a, a track day. So I went to Snetterton and I was T-boned going off the um, start finish straight into the right-hander. And at that point, I then had three non-displaced fractures in my shoulder, uh, bruised lungs and a what they call a hill sacs lesion which is basically where you just have a chip of the bone in the shoulder. So it's a ball and socket joint. And then so the ball for me is got a chip of bone taken out of it. So it's got a bit of a chunk missing. So it doesn't glide in the socket properly as a result of that. And um, and all of these soft tissue injuries are rotator cuff tear and all that kind of stuff. And so I then elected to come out of the NHS system. I, w- I have... A, been so fortunate in that I've worked in a physiotherapy clinic for quite a long time or had done at that stage and went and just saw my boss or my old boss at the time who is my mentor and I still now if I've got something I don't know I'm going to pick up the phone and ask her and she's always there for me she's amazing phenomenal physiotherapist lovely well. connection she's, to yeah. have as well um and I, I I went to see her and she's you know obviously had this list of things that were going on and she said Maybe you should just give up bikes. I'm like, no, and I don't want to do that. That's not what this is about. I'm, you know, this. Yeah. And then, how do you explain to somebody who's not a motorcycle rider that crashing's kind of normal? Not that we need to yeah. normalise it, and I don't yeah. think it's healthy to normalise it. But unfortunately, it is a very. It's like learning to ride a normal bike or any normal is. skill. You, yeah. You you're gonna falter every yeah. now and then. And Absolutely. it's being, it's knowing how to manage those falters. It, mental health, everything yeah. is all the same thing. It's yeah. a muscle that you have to practice. Um, and there'll be the blips in the road. But mm. if you don't know how to, you know, take care of it and, you know, stroke it back to health, then, yeah. you know, you kind of screw yourself up. So, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Completely understand. So I was quite frustrated. But, you know, I did what I did. And, and I, got, I was on the back, on the bike again within four weeks. Which is stupid. Oh, no. So I have a real issue with doing stupid things. So I will just throw in a a bit of a curveball in terms of (laughs) the stupid things I do with my life is that I've had horses all my life as well. Had a horse, kicked me in my arm. So I have a scar here uh, and he broke my arm and I left it for eight days. I was absolutely convinced that it was fine. I could move my fingers. I could move my arm. It's fine. Eight days later, I go to A&E because it's still quite hurty. 
and uh, an x-ray and it's literally snapped clean in half and oh, i've been well, driving God. i've been mucking out i've been riding horses you sound so similar to me it's- though i don't know if it's <laughs> i don't know if it's ego or you just saying to yourself you know what you've got a nah, yeah, i'm don't fine make a big fuss. Because I, thing, I broke my hand and I came home and it was like a claw. And I remember I, I was quite young, I was in my teens. And my brother says, oh, you're just doing that because you don't want to do the washing. And I was like, fine, I'll do the washing. So I held the sponge in like yeah. there and I'm washing the dishes. And I called my mum and said, mum, I think I paralysed my hand. I'm just completely like honest with her. She's like, all right, I'll be home in three hours. We'll go to um, oh, awesome. three or four hours and we'll go to A&E. Go to A&E, I still have the claw. Mm. And... Um, I'm sat in A&E and she, my mum makes me laugh like no other. So we're in fits of laughter, we're crying and it's painful. And I'm saying to the nurse, it's a, it's a nine out of ten pain. Yeah, yeah. But it should be fine. It's probably just a sprain. Six hours later, they tell me it's a spiral fracture and you, I must be in dire amount of pain. I was like, yeah, I did tell you it was in a lot of pain. But you just don't process that, oh, okay, this mm. is bad. This is an ouch. Um, maybe I should, I should just stop. Because yeah. even when I came off my bike... Um, everyone my mum and everyone included commended me for getting back on yeah but I didn't compute that okay maybe I've really hurt myself here um I'll be fine like yeah if you ignore it it will be fine (laughs) so maybe I don't know if it's an ego thing or a naivety a nice naivety that you know it's all gonna be okay (laughs) I think sometimes it's adrenaline as well like I think sometimes in that heat of the moment you just it's survival kicks in doesn't it a little bit and you just got to crack on and then life kicks in and you have to just crack on you know sometimes you can't you you can't afford to just wallow in self-pity and you have to you know you you put that in your head of no you've got to be strong I've got to be strong and I've got to carry on and I've got to go to work and I've got to keep doing this this and this and I can't make a fuss and I think there's a lot of people do put that pressure on themselves and it's not always healthy. But it almost feels like a natural transition as well because you've got the bikes and you've got the horses. Mm. And I do feel, because I did dabble in horse riding when I was quite young, um, but I had a car accident which paralysed the bottom of my back for a a temporary period of time. So, um, and it skewed my alignment, so I stopped riding. Um, But you translate a lot of those skills onto the bike um how to hold the bike with your legs your thighs um the control the way you look ahead the posture so i don't know um what your opinion is on which one was is because i believe they both come with disastrous consequences if you get kicked or (laughs) if you fall off your bike they're both quite you know catastrophic yeah um but I do think that if you've done horse riding, because you fall off quite a bit when you horse ride, yeah. you, you know, learning to mount a horse and yeah. it's very unruly. If it wants to do its own thing, it will, um, which I think is quite nice when a bike doesn't do that. If it <laughs> exactly, if it malfunctions, yeah. it will, but yeah. it's it's less of a... It's, yeah, less unpredictable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's almost feels of... safer to be on a, on a motorbike than a horse. I 100% agree. And I think probably, um, I think probably statistically, it probably is. That's why I think you were probably able to just be like, oh, I fell off the bike, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine, I'll, yeah. I'll manage. Because when you've come off a horse, it's a completely different story. But yeah. it almost feels like the equivalent to two wheels. Yeah. I'd so agree. I'd probably say, I'm not sure you're quite, I wouldn't say you had an ego, but I think you almost, maybe a level of trust within yourself that you didn't want people to be like, oh, okay, 
push me down and think I'm small and I'm this that, and the other. You know what? I can ride horses. I can do this. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, yeah, it's like little man syndrome, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I can't, like I say, you know, I can't shy away from any of that. Yeah. I have to meet that head on and say, that's a part of my history that I'm ashamed of. But you know what? I'm here now and, and, and there's no doubt that I'm going to continue to make mistakes and I'm going to make some poor life choices probably. But I'm the difference now is that I have calmed down so much and everything does come from this and every choice that I make and every decision that I take you know comes from this huge sense of perspective which has come from this massive exposure that I've had as I say to all of these different facets of what what's involved with motorbikes and some of them have been really really positive and others have been challenging you know so and but as I say you know at the point at which I'm sitting in that physio room I didn't you know it's that whole thing of where do you where do you go what do you do now when when the people that you're turning to to help are saying well just give it up yeah you know don't do it so what was that mindset for you how did you literally decide I'm gonna throw everything at this I'm gonna go straight into (laughs) this and immerse myself um (laughs) Well, it was probably the second time I broke my other shoulder. Oh, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) What haven't you broken? (laughs) So, I mean, to be fair, they are all I've broken on a a bike. But yeah, so I did that at Donington and um, that one was entirely uh, self-inflicted. So again, I made an error of judgment. I came off track, done, broke my shoulder. Just got to take it. That's just how life goes. Um, and again, went back to Angela and she's like, don't you really, really should stop riding bikes now? And this is both shoulders. And I'm like, no, and please, like, <laughs> just no. It's I'm, I don't want I don't want to do that. So at that point, again, I'm thinking, well, there are, um, and I had sort of put it out there um, about where where do bikers go? What, what, where what options do we have? And I, I was aware of the fact that there were some go-to therapists out there. So I think there's Brian Simpson. He's way up north and he does a lot of motorsport stuff, but he's got a very, very high-end facility and not everybody is going to have the ability to go up and see him. Nobody, And not everybody's got access to a hyperbaric chamber. And, you know, so at that point, there's just this whole demographic of people who are lost and a bit unsupported and a bit unsure about what their options are. Um so I then started thinking, okay, well, I'll I'll support some young riders and I'll sort of start to build myself up that way. So I sponsored a couple of ride, um, BSB riders So in the support classes. So I had a young lad, a 16-year-old lad, and then a guy in his 20s. Um, supported them. And then, and that was when I had the clinic that was based outside of, uh, within a CrossFit gym. And then COVID hit. So when COVID hit, that was it done. Overnight, doors shut income shut, everything gone, the rug pulled from underneath my feet. And I'd only been open for two years at that point. So I built a business, got it to a point where it was okay. It was doing well, but it had scope and I had plans and everything was, you know, stuff. (laughs) And yeah, and then COVID. And then what do we say about COVID? So that was the end of that. And I had to think about what my options were at that point. So it, it happened that my partner and his business partner had been given notice for where they were working so they're car mechanics but they've both been involved in bikes for 20 something years massively massively experienced the pair of them and they took uh 
they took the lease on a new unit, which was modern and plush and and these two are like immaculate anyway i mean yeah. they are absolutely like on point with their cleanliness and yeah. they everything is pristine they do everything to the millimeter with perfection that's how they do their cars it's how they do their bikes it's how they keep their workshop it's just absolutely magic so this place that they had had an upstairs like a mezzanine floor and once everything had been cleared out we realized it was just massive and that what were they going to do with it, it was an empty space yeah. so at that point I'd been having conversations with Dale about, look, I really want to, like, I really want to get involved with trying to offer some support to riders. What do you think? And he was like, well, we could put the treatment room upstairs. So we built one. Oh, amazing. So we now have a slightly unusual treatment room upstairs in a car garage. But at that point, it was perfect yeah. to go right now. That That is going to suit the demographic of bike riders. Absolutely perfect. Because at that point, I can get them in. We're in you know got a nice plush reception and we've got a bike room we've got all of the bikes there i can get them upstairs i can see what the, what's going on and then if i need to do work with body positioning see what's happening get them upstairs mobilize stretch treat get them back downstairs retest i've got that and i've got that ability to put them on a bike right there and then and watch them move and That's help incredible. them understand so that was where and it's unique as well it is unique, really unique yeah so at that point that was where v pro performance went right it's happening Oh, so it's that's it's fairly new, isn't it? Then? Yeah, it literally, um, that treatment room was just about functional in the middle of December. Wow. Right before we went into a second, second lockdown. But isn't that good, so. though, that you managed to find a way to like navigate yourself through that? Yeah. And yeah. you came out, thankfully, in a good way with yeah. lots of new prospects, which is amazing. Yeah. Because you actually do um, do lots of therapy for some quite well-known riders as well that... I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I should mention them or not, so I'll probably leave that there. But um, th- and that's what I was seeing on your page was the fact that they were connected with you, and I was like, okay, yeah. So this person's actually le- really legit. Then you'd yeah. see all the fact that you were traveling around everywhere, yeah. and I just thought she's doing everything because I found that with quite a lot of I call them like my hidden gems that I find, and I'm like, yeah. wow, you're like true experience business the whole lot, yeah. and you know, having the ability to speak and share and learn about how you've overcome things, the mindset behind yeah. it is really important. So going from there, what are your prospects like? Do you still do the like um, events management and stuff? How did that all come about? Uh, so, so that came about off the back of a slightly... So, so Dale, when I met him, um, was an instructor for Focused Events. And he had made contact with me um after I had my crash at Snetterton to say you're not that far away if you need support getting the bike back on the road I'm a mechanic I've got my own garage I can help you let me know and I was like that's fantastic I and he was one of many and I cannot tell you how because at the time the the guy that I was seeing at the time was so angry he'd watched that crash happen and he was fuming because the guy hit me and then he rode off and he packed up his bike and he left and that was the end of that and do you know what that happens like I just I didn't really care but this guy was fuming so he put something up on Facebook and I had hundreds and hundreds of messages from people I've never known saying I've got a clock bracket for you I've got a subframe I've got levers I've got do you want me to post them to you amazing I that can't, is what an amazing community 
That is so wholesome because I've heard of that. Um, there was another girl I had on here, Charisma. Yeah. And she said when she had issues with her business, people yeah. were messaging her like, yeah. oh my God, we're here, we've got this. And honestly, I have to say there's no community like it. Oh, it's unbelievable. The it's way, because I've been part of the beauty industry, fashion, um, now bikes, and we do photography, videography. There's a real sense of camaraderie with um, with the biker people, the biker yeah. community. Um, and being able to reach out to people in your highs and your lows, yeah. that must have been an incredible feeling. Uh, it was just really... I mean, coming humbling. from something pretty shitty, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, of course. So it was, it was a slightly shitty situation to be in, because obviously I was nursing a broken shoulder and... Um, and the, and and life actually just went a bit upside down at that point. It, you know, it set off wheels in motion for a, a massive change in my life and a massively positive one because actually, you know, from all of that has led me to Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dale has been the single most influential person in my entire life. You kept and trying to get him on here. It was like you were just working. like, you, I was like, I'd love to have you on here. No, 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 Dale will come. I was like, Dale I would love to have you uh, on here. No, 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 Dale. I was like, <laughs> we'll um, see. <laughs> I mean, the guy is the man, the myth and the legend. Let's just face it, you know. Um, and he is the facilitator of so many things, um, which is a bit of an in-joke. So, yeah, if you ever meet him, you say, oh, Mr. Facilitator. <laughs> love it. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, at that and, and then and then we just got, together and that was and you know that romantic side of things just evolved but he was he was instructing for focused events and he'd said look I'll come ride with you um and then again like wow right so that's when learning happened this is when real world back in your box proper learning happened with that because that then at the point at which I've gone through that 10 years before 15 years before whenever it was that whole I'm going to be part of London Bikers. And I was, I was part of these groups and I was at the Ace Cafe and I was at Borough Market and I was doing this and I was doing that. And I went everywhere on my bike. I did it all back then. And then came into this situation and suddenly it was like, right, okay. Yeah, I need to get back in my box now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out for a ride and he went, you're a liability. Oh, <laughs> I was like, all right. What do I need to do? And that's not the first time I've had that because I've had that a couple of times now. I had that when I did my first track day and I got told by the in, uh, an instructor who came and found me who said, you're going to crash. You're an absolute liability. Oh <laughs> you're going to crash. Sort yourself out. And I went, all right, can I have a session? Can I go around with you? Yep. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, so that was that. And then again, same with Dale. You think I'd learn my lesson, but I hadn't. <laughs> so then it was, um, went out with uh, with Dale and he was like, just stop. Just stop. What was it that, what, why did they say that you were a liability? Because I was noisy and chaotic. So I was that person that would do a lot of revving of the engine. And I was that person that would ride down the road and I'd be weaving a lot, you know, because oh. it warms the tyres <laughs> Um, and I'd be up and I'd be down and I'd be fidgeting and I'd be up one minute and down the next minute and like I'd just be that person who was just always moving on a bike and he was like you look chaotic just calm down just sit still and that do you know what that's the biggest thing so then that happened on the road and then it went he took me to Snetterton first thing back on Snetterton you got to put that demon to bed went there and um and, and and then that was it really. So then we did more a couple more. Tra- I think 
a Donington. I can't, I can't even remember now. Like they all blended into one. But that so then that first two years, I'd gone from him saying, "You know what? You've got to wind your neck in a little bit here because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna kill yourself." You know, mm. and you if you're going down the road and you're giving it all this and weaving and all that kind of stuff, at some point you might just make a bit of a bad error of judgment you might just get caught out by something and it's you know so now I've that's my choice to just go I'm gonna sit here I'd rather be calm and classy and quiet and just look commanding than draw attention to myself so I've elected to make that very distinct choice so now I'm a I don't want to be drawing attention to myself I don't want people to know too much I just I'll be on my bike and I'll pull up and I'll go off and I'll do my thing um but then on track, it started to evolve. So we then went to Almeria. I knocked 18 seconds off my time at Almeria at my first the first trip there. And then came back. And then and then they were short of an instructor. They, they got properly caught out. Um, they weren't caught out, but they just needed somebody to take this girl out. And I was like, well, help if you need me to. So put on an instructor's bib, took this girl out. She came in. Can I book you for a whole day next time round? Oh, wow. Feedback to the boss. Yeah, get her on. So, and then it, it didn't end up happening with her, but then I started wearing an instructor's bib. So I then started instructing on track. And I just had this huge trajectory from that person who was with Dale for my first track day after this massive crash. It's almost like you, because you are like a bag of energy, which is amazing. <laughs> and when you, I, I suppose sometimes you need it to be, put somewhere and you need to be doing something to apply it for it to level out because everyone that knows me from my past I honestly never slept and I was just always like vibrating and just like oh my god I need to do this I need to do that need to do this and as time goes on as I got older I engaged in so many other projects that took up my energy that um, because something happens to me at 11 o'clock at night and it's always 11 o'clock I have the most energy and I could be doing cartwheels around the house I could be somersaults something like this and my poor partner's just like the hell are you doing even my business partner's just like it's her crazy time like she's she needs to draw she needs to do something and if I don't have a project going um I'm just a nightmare I I'm just so fidgety and I agree I my my mum has the same kind of thing as well and she's she's got dyslexia I've got a bit of dyslexia and I don't know if that um helps with anything but we're just fidgety we're very spontaneous we need to go do we need to do this and when I first was on my bike I was all you know riding around standing and doing the whole you know yeah the business and I think that's kind of probably why I came off as well because I was trying to prove a point and I was revving like oh look it's it's not me it's the bike that's got the problem and as soon as I started to facilitate and put myself in areas where I was using my energy creatively but in more of a less kaboom kind of way (laughs) I just felt more structured and more like I was actually honing my my talents instead of just throwing them at at things and hoping they stick yeah yeah like literally hoping something will stick somewhere yeah as opposed to being a little bit more sort of focused and because a lot of friends would say that to me growing up. They were like, oh, you can do everything. And I was like, there'd be half a drawing here well, and exactly, yeah. <laughs> dance it, over here. It's and... that jack of all trades, master of none yeah. thing, isn't it? And that, yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. So I've gone through my whole life being a you know, jack, <laughs> jack of all, of all trades, trades, master and, of nothing. Yeah. yeah. And not doing any of them particularly well. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of, I think it, from your perspective, and, I, and that's what I like about, uh, about what you're doing, is that I think it's really important 
And I'm very appreciative of the fact that somebody's come out and started a really important dialogue. Oh, you're making it about me. I'm going to hide under the table. <laughs> <laughs> I would learn. Back to you, back to you. <laughs> She's like, oh, no. I only wanted to have a conversation with you. I didn't want to be no, on the podcast. That's what I think is really amazing. And I didn't. My only thing here with the podcast was if this stops me going into a cocoon yeah. and becoming lost and emotional and in, in the evenings, a lot of people saw the straight face of me, the, yeah. the happiness, but they wouldn't see my hissy fits at home, that I wasn't understanding, couldn't buy my bike, couldn't afford it, couldn't yeah. do this, couldn't oh. do that. Yeah. Um, no one saw all of that pain yeah. and that desire, but nothing was coming out of it. And I thought, okay, if I just speak, it's a therapy for me. It's a therapy yeah. for hearing people's stories and there are people that are just solely Instagram people or people you would never come across in day-to-day life that have incredible stories and if we can share them and we can all hear about them and you know one day no one will listen to a podcast and then maybe that one person will check in on it and it'll make the most biggest difference Mm -hmm. that's what I care about I don't care about the numbers I'm not going to go promote everything here there and everywhere because I don't need to this will find the people it needs to find because they'll be searching for it and it honed me in massively mm-hmm. because I, I was working with so many different people, so many different brands, and it just, nothing was in a line. Nothing was, this is who I am. Mm. I was more trying to fit into other people's brackets. Yeah. And that was the energy that didn't wasn't right. Yeah. So I found um, my business partner, Shaz, and my partner, Nathan, and we, now they both, like they're like barriers for me. They keep me going on my road so yeah. there'll be days where I feel exhausted and I think that's what you have with Dale is yeah he kind of filters that energy makes it into good v-power and then puts it in your ranger <laughs> <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of just the casual petrol he's like yeah. okay let's filter that let's make it some nice stuff and make it good concentrated uh, focused it's energy funny you should say that because he's so f- he's so particular about what fuel he puts <laughs> in his engines <laughs> so my partner he's like i'm not going there oh, the yeah. next petrol station's half an hour away we can make it we and we're yeah, like oh like, my god <laughs> like petrol roulette yeah. just for the sake of, of you know it's like i'm not going not to that place <laughs> yes <laughs> has to be the v power oh. it has to be from a good petrol yeah. station the nightmare the stuff that i would never consider yeah but now I've become a bit of a, a petrol snob because of those things. Yeah, I mean, so it, it's interesting that you should say that because actually there is this whole thing of I have always had cheap bikes, you know, so I've I've never, I don't come from money, I don't have money, I'm, I'm, especially now I'm a new business and we've had a global p- pandemic and so, you know, life's tough. But yeah, I've never had high-powered machines. I've never had a bike that costs more than two and a half grand and that's my current seven, current 750. Um, so I've never really thought about the fuel that I put in, but Dale's like, Dale has all of his vehicles are, are pretty decent. You know, he has an M3 and he's got this S1000RR that is tricked up to hell and back and it's beautiful. And, um, and, and at that point he is not going to put cheap stuff in a 12,000 pound machine, is he? <laughs> Whereas me, I'm like, it's only a grand. Like my bike is Ross bucket <laughs> but I are, loved that so. about you so even when you rocked up today and you were just like oh you know it's going to fall over at some point I, there was a, a relief of oh it's not that serious like because no. I my bike was quite expensive mine was three and a half nearly four yeah for what for what it was and I was like okay 
you know, I don't want to ever d- drop it. I'm going to hug it. Yeah, I'm going to like yeah. do this. And then when it came off and there was scratched, like, honestly, I sat there on the oh, side of the road looking it? at it. And I was like, my satin black is <laughs> not satin anymore. And then my partner was like, well, if it was gloss, it probably would have been fine. Well, probably buffed about. We have comments. to sit there and you have to buff it out in front of me to, to show oh. me that it will be fine. He was like, I was like, I need a new fairing now. Yeah. I need new fairings on my bikes and all of this. And it, it for me, I I learned dropping it was okay, and yeah. as much hard as and how cringe I feel about it, I was oh, like, okay, dropping yeah. it is fine. But it's okay to drop it. This is what it's supposed yeah. to be. It's a vehicle. Go with it. Like yeah, I yeah. and I suppose I I hang around with a lot of people that their cars are their children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'm there like, and I've I think my poor partner rides a Prilia with the super courses and everything in in the most awful weather when he would he would <laughs> never take out in rain and i'd just be able to go torrential rain this yeah. and the other because i'm all about the experience and this yeah. like the spontaneity but then i'd never had the responsibility of my own vehicle like thing. that yeah so when it's your own you're like okay i'm not doing that you i'm not to doing make different life choices yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the because consequences are down to me <laughs> yeah uh, do you know what coming from like a spontaneous scatty like yeah just let's do it let's do it let's do it to oh there's things can happen and oh yeah because like you said like I didn't come from money but my mum she's built a really good business yeah and we've kind of got money as we've got older and you know her buying her new car and all of these things it's just been the most hilarious and that was on a uh, on a whim as well we just I just was in the car I was like you have to go buy it now and she was like no I was like, go on. And she was like, oh, awesome. I booked an appointment in. And it's, it's the same with how we bought our house. We just, yeah. we went for it. And it's finding the right energies around you that yeah. can calibrate you in such a healthy way. Because I do think community is a lot of conversation I've had with a lot of people. Community is super important mm-hmm. because you can be around those um, egotistical maniacs that, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you need to show more body. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yeah. And sometimes I just want to, learn to ride and not want to race anyone not mm. want to learn how to do wheelies and spin around and whatever they whatever anyone else is doing yeah. i just want to focus on my experience and that's the people i want to have on here the healthy yeah. mindset the the good banter the yeah. the positivity the we look out for each other vibe and 100%. Do you think there's a lot of community that you've met in since being with Dale or what what has that difference been for you? Um I think the biggest difference really is is the different type of community. So I like you, I've I've come away from being a bit spontaneous and a little bit sort of uh, a bit chaotic, yeah. you know, I can't there's no other word for it really. Um very much more into keep your head down, your mouth shut, yeah. your ears open, learn. Because I'm around people who are so, so, so experienced. I'm just, not just Dale, but the people that we move in, the people that we have turning up at track days, the people that are turning up at dealer events, the dealers, you know. it That whole different dynamic between all of these people from one end of the biking spectrum to the complete other end you know like for example we had uh, Troy Corsa on a track day a couple of weeks back well, I mean yeah 
yeah, you're just, right. You're just, you're just like, <laughs> I just don't even know. You know, and I, are you not starstruck by any stretch? Because yeah. he's just a bloke, and we get lots of people like that. You know, I love that. I, I completely agree with that mindset because yeah. there was always I, I live in Wembley. There's always celebrities around, oh, it's just and it's it's they're just people. But yeah. it's, I'm in awe of the stories yeah. and what you've done. And your skill set. That's what I want to learn. No, I love it's, that. Yeah, I'm interested in how they got there. I'm not interested in what they're doing now no. or who they are. I just, I'm all about that backstory. But I think, um, as I say, my focus now all of the time in every given situation is head down, mouth shut, ears open. Yeah. What can you learn out of this situation? And no matter how much we've done now, having come out, you know, Dale and I don't instruct anymore because we've moved away from that into running days. And when you step, as I said before, away from a track day company, uh, a track day customer to then an, a track day instructor to the people who are running the track day, you've got all three different uh, perspectives of what goes on. And then, as I say, we do the manufacturer events and you get this whole, you know, you get this whole different dynamic of so many. You get your people who've only passed a test two weeks ago turning up and wanting a test ride. You get people who've been riding for 47 years who've got 12 bikes turning up for their test ride. And you talk to them and you learn about them. And you and there's just nothing now, really. There's very, very... I can't remember the last time that we were surprised by a situation. That's a there's really good so position many, to be in, though. yeah very little surprises us anymore and it sounds an awful thing to say but we've learned to kind of understand how things can can happen now some people are going to say well that's being judgmental you'll look at somebody and you'll judge them to a degree mm-hmm. we have to um it's my job so when for example with the, especially with the manufacturer events if we're doing the dealers stuff it's my job to um, make sure that the person turning up to ride that bike is appropriate. So, for example, it happens quite regularly that somebody who passed their test three or four weeks ago will want to ride an H2. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, we, you know, we have a duty of care to that person, to our guide riders, to the other people on that group-led ride, to the members of the public to make sure that everybody is in the safest possible position and putting somebody onto a supercharged motorcycle when they've only been riding three or four weeks is not going to be a good move. So at that point, I have to judge them a little bit. I have to say, I'm sorry, this isn't, it's not going to happen quite that way. Then I'll have a bit more of a conversation with them and then I'll find out a little bit more. And then you can kind of go, okay, well, this person's quite sensible. All right, well, here's another route to that as a possibility. Then I'll have a conversation with Dale or Ke- uh, Kevin or whoever else is there. Right, this is the situation. Can we put them out on a Z900? Assess them, see what they're like. Is it, you know, and sometimes it's no. And yeah. sometimes it's, okay, well, let's let's see what they're like. So there's always that that fielding of information, processing of information, that means that I, as that person who has to kind of get that information, yeah. um, learn so much. You know, I just learn so much about what people are doing with bikes, and people do mega stuff with bikes. What does so? I haven't. I don't know if I have seen or if I've. Um, I don't know much. What does what actually happens at a manufacturing event, or what do, do they entail? 
Um, it's really simple. So, for example, with uh, at the moment we're doing BMW and Kawasaki. So you can go onto the BMW or Kawasaki websites and you can book a test ride at your local dealer because we will. Uh, the focused events are um, running. The, they are contracted by the manufacturer in the UK to. Um, tour around the country visiting the dealers providing the infrastructure for the dealership to then offer test rides that then gives them exposure and hopefully then generates sales ah okay so yeah right i think i've been on one so a few years ago there was yeah. one that uh, they did the royal enfield one um at yeah. ace cafe yeah um, so yeah we've so, done stuff like that before yeah. so again we're most this year we're or recently we've been mostly based out of the dealerships directly but yeah we had um we got into that because we were asked to help with the Yamaha Nikon so I don't know if you know about the Nikon no, three wheelers right okay um I think that's what my my business partner was he was a three wheeler yeah no the Nikons are <laughs> mega like they're brilliant um so but we got asked to do that and and I think uh we went up to the there was a bike show up in Edinburgh and that was our first event. And then they were based at, we did a couple of events with BMW at Box Hill and we've done it with Yamaha. I'm not so, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't even know if I should be man- mentioning any of these manufacturers and stuff. <laughs> but um, there is an element of just exposure, isn't there? So, um, but the reality is that it gives it gives the general public an opportunity to see what is available in a range of machines on any given year. So we've got a, a fleet of, I think... So let's say it's 15 Kawasaki's and however many BMW's um, that are available for people to ride. And you might get somebody who wants to ride, for example, the Ninja 650, then they might want to ride, ride a Versus 1000 or then they might and then they might want to ride an H2. And it gives them that spectrum of different types of bikes that offer very, very different things. Um, or you get those people who are out and out. I've had a Versus my whole life. That's what I want. Yeah. I just want to know what the 2121 model's like. I'm due for an upgrade. Done. And they just want to ride that bike. And that's and it gives them that opportunity. So it's a taster session where people can go and just get an experience of that bike. And then they can go away. And for some people, it's enough to go and put a deposit down, buy the bike because it was brilliant. For others, it's, do you know what? I actually could do with a bit of a longer test ride on that. So back to the dealer. And then the dealer will... Um, uh, facilitate that <laughs> so enable them to take the bike out as you would book a normal test ride and then for some people it's a I thought I'd really like that not for me but that yeah. one really is so it yeah it's a great opportunity for people to I've get never out. literally I didn't even think for a second of all these other little areas that there are oh, in the bike world and neither I'm just like when you're peeling away at this onion of yeah. that's the bike world you're like okay there's the stunt riding there's the track days there's yeah. the touring yeah and then hang on a second and there's you over on this side the physio yeah. the the instructing our track day yeah all of these things are just never even crossed my mind um but have you so did you go into all of this pretty recently or have you been doing this for quite a while um Recently. So I would say that all happened, start or started to happen about four years ago. So, But Dale was, okay. as I say, he'd been instructing for um, a couple of years before that and had been doing track days for 20-something years. So he'd, he already had a bit of a reputation. He already has a presence. He's a very commanding presence on and off a motorbike. Um, and he just is the person that, you just trust he's just got that energy of yeah no when he says 
it seems like that connection has really transformed your life as well. Oh, unbelievably so. I really think having the right people around you creates the absolute dynamic that you need to take you that step further. But also having that humility, that um, even fashion beauty, I was saying to you mm. earlier, one of my friends turned around and said to me, I'll teach you how to contour differently and it'll make you look amazing. Yeah. When If my ego was, I'd have been like, well, I've been doing this for, for years. But yeah. I suppose in the influencer world, in my side of things, and I suppose in normal generic life anyway, or what you do in in the, in the world, um, there's always room for improvement. Mm. Or even knowing what's not good is enough yeah. knowledge in itself. Because to turn around and be like, actually, I've tried that. I didn't like it because X, Y, Z. Yeah. Having that ability to engage in conversation instead of just blocking yourself off from experiencing things as you go along. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, I know what's right for me. I've been riding for this long, X, Y, Z. And you just think, okay, well, if you don't have that room for improvement, there will always be something somewhere with all new bikes, um, gear, all of this. There'll always be room to grow in a healthy manner. So I'm going to ask you, what has been one of your highlighting experiences riding or in, in your business or the bike world? Um, I think the biggest highlight I have to say isn't, I wouldn't put it down to one single thing. That, that sort of first proper year of being on track with Dale, where we did a lot, you know, I say a lot of track days, it's it's still probably only just into double, double figures. So I haven't really done that much, but that journey, that trajectory of your reliability going to crash to you're so capable and you can run this pace and so no there is there's one there's one highlight and I've just remembered it was at Almeria and it was the first Euro I've ever done and I'd gone out with a group of friends Dale had been uh, helping me out on track so just helping me with his lines and then I'd kind of just done sessions on my own and I had three different people come to me saying you are such a pleasure to follow around that track. You are so smooth and your lines are so predictable. I've just followed you for the whole session. Wow. And I was like... So from being a liability to hearing that, that must be a massive... And all of a sudden, that was like a switch moment for me of, it's not about going fast. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I stopped trying and I went fast. Or I went faster and, you know, this is a relative thing because I am not fast. <laughs> but I've gone, for, you know, and it was, I couldn't believe it. Like people just finding me in pit lane saying, oh, what? Yeah, I followed you for that session. You were so smooth. And I'm like... And for them to even go out of their way to come and approach never you. I thought that would ever be me. Mm. Ever. In a million years did I ever think that. Especially, as I say, you know, I've kind of been put in my box a little bit. And don't let your ego get too big. You're not... You're not that great, you know, to suddenly, wow, okay. So this is what happens when you make good choices. This is what happens when you take bad feedback, I suppose, and go, well, I'm going to make something good out of that. And that was my choice. It, You know, at the point at which you get told, you get told, you know what, you're not that great, just, you know, you're a liability, whatever it is, twice. <laughs> um, you make that choice of how, did you how do I respond that? to that? the um sorry i was just thinking no, in my head how did you overcome that feeling of because i know when when i would if i someone said to be a liability i would put the front on like okay i want to learn but i'd yeah. go home and probably cry no absolutely um, not how did you go and 
process and decide that, okay, I'm going to be 10 times better than I am? Um, by realising that it was the truth. And nothing more. Nothing, nothing more. Less. Literally yeah. going, well, you wouldn't be saying if it wasn't true. Yeah. You know, this, and, and again, it's recognising, it's having that exposure, isn't it, to, to, to other people's experience. That came from two instructors, one being Dale, one being a, a random instructor on, a, well, not a random instructor, but an instructor on a, on a normal track day. They are in that position because they know what they're doing. Yeah. And, like, you know, they're not just saying it because I'm a girl yeah. or because they're bored or, you know, they've got nothing else to do with that day. They're saying it because they have been in the game. They've been around the block. This ain't their first rodeo. They know their shit. That's what they've observed, observed and that's their feedback. So at that point, all right, fair enough. What do I do? Yeah. What do I do now? And that's what I did. And so that at that point, because I'd given it with Dale when I met him, I, I was giving it, I'm going to go racing. That's what, <laughs> it's nothing. I'm going to go racing. And I'd made plans and I'd even put myself in the local paper with my friend at the time because we were going to be in a, in a race team together. And, you know, it was like, fabulous. And Dale was like... Oh, kid, you've got so much to learn. Oh. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get your ass handed to you, and you're gonna find yourself in trouble on a racetrack mm. because you're not ready. You haven't got track etiquette. You haven't got track mileage. You just need to learn some stuff first, and then you will be safe, and other people will be safe. And so that's what I did. I then said, okay, well, I won't do it. I won't do it this year. This year, it'll be all about the learning. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I went with him around every track that I could possibly do. And I learned as much as I possibly could. And four years down the line, I still haven't raced. Yeah. I will do next month and that will be my first race. Amazing. And it won't be anything like I thought. It's not the journey that I thought I was going to take, but I think it's the right one. And again, I'm trusting, you know, that again, it's shifted my perception again because I've always thought, well, I was going to take my 600 and I was going to race that. And he was like, do you know what? You'd be better off on a 400. Like, just learn how to ride a small bike. Be really capable on a small bike. Learn what that's capable of. Step it up and build up gradually. So now I'm like, let's get a 125. (laughs) So now we have a 125 race bike. And I tell you not, uh, unbelievable. I didn't know the meaning of the words, throw a bike around a track until I sat on the 125 and realised, yeah, you literally throw it around. And it is so much fun. Oh, my God. God, I've not heard of people going like up. In, oh. I've heard of going up in engines. I haven't heard of like going Love back it. down. Yeah, no. But I'm, you know, that's the choice that I I've elected to make. I've never been a big bike rider. Mm. I've ridden plenty of thousands, and I just they're just not for me. I mean, I probably maybe one day I'd have one on the road, possibly, but I'm never going to take them around a track I, because I just don't know that I would get what I wanted out of a track day from yeah. that bike, and that's. That's just me. So I've had my 600 and and I'm learning a lot. I've learned a lot from that 600 and it's an old 600. It's a 2003 and it's completely standard. I think the only thing I've got on it is like rear sets. Um, so it's not tricked up or anything. And I've had to learn how to ride that properly to enable me to get the most out of myself on track I'm a, still a long way from getting the most out of the bike on the track yeah. but when you learn to ride on a 600 you have to learn especially when you're on a track day and you're learning to ride um in and amongst bigger bikes your 750s and your thousands you have to to plan 
you have to learn to be so much more strategic with what you're doing. Because if you are going past bigger bikes and you are going a bit faster, you need to start thinking two, three corners ahead about where you're going to tee up yeah, a pass 100%. because you haven't got that power. So you need to be thinking about and being strategic about where you're going to position yourself to get past them in a safe way that then means that you can perhaps put distance between you before the straight when they're going to come flying back past you again and and you wind up having to do it all again and that's what it's like on the 600 so um so I thought you know I've always thought you know the 600 would be the biggest thing that I would ever choose to to ride on track or to race um not that I've raced any of it now for one reason or another but I now have a 750 road bike and I have to say that's perfect for me Mm -hmm. it's absolutely perfect um I haven't ridden it on track, and I, prob- I, sh- I probably won't, which means I will. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I don't see, because for me, that gives me everything that I'm used to doing on a 600 in terms of the way that I like to ride a bike and the way that I choose to ride a bike. It suits a 750, so I can do all of the things that I've always done on a 600 and have that tiny bit more squirt to get myself out of a corner or to, to keep up a little bit more. So for me, that's that's kind of as big as I'd want to go for now um, because I've still got a lot to learn. Yeah. On a track, that 125 has been an eye-opener for me. It's been a real um, learning curve and I've only done it, taken it on a go-kart track twice. And all of a sudden, I'm like, right, I get it. Wow, okay, so this is what I've got to learn. And it's just this whole open book of, now I know what it's like to find the limit of a bike. Mm. And then... I hopefully, if I have a journey that goes <laughs> anything like the way I want it to, we'll have a season on that and we'll do do some rounds on that and then we'll get, I'll still achieve that dream that I'm still clutching and missing <laughs> of riding the 400s. And that's an enormously competitive class to run in. And that's, that is going to teach me an awful lot. And who knows, I might never come out of that, but I'm not going to move out of that class until... I'm capable of moving out yeah. of that class. And, and then I might run it. into a 600. And and that's, that'll probably be where I finish up. You yeah. know, I'm not going to go trying to race a 1,000. <laughs> so I've learned literally so much. I feel like my mind's going to explode. <laughs> and I wish my partner was here to listen as well. But I'm going to have to make him listen to this because I just there's so much I've taken from this um, episode in itself of, you know, I suppose a lot of it has just been riding for yourself and mm. taking the steps necessary for yourself and what league each bike has and can take you into different areas of, of expansion yeah. in what you can learn. So for somebody learning to ride, getting into riding, already a rider, mm-hmm. what would be your top piece of advice? Listen. Just listen. Stop talking. <laughs> uh, there's so many people out there with such vast vast amounts of knowledge that you can just have this whole world open up in front of you if you just peel it back and listen and let people just let them unleash on you and it's fascinating I've had so many incredible conversations and yeah I think it's brilliant and you know as I said I think it's really important that um, even if you've not got those people right in front of you to have conversations with, we've got things like this podcast that are happening where people can listen, mm-hmm. you know, and learn 
so much from and the, the people that you've had on have all had so so much value to offer and I just think that some of the topics that you've you've covered through all of that I think have just been so fundamental and so necessary that's my advice if you're if you're a writer listen listen to podcasts like this listen to the people around you open your eyes observe see what people are doing and just be open-minded enough to absorb it like just let let it all kind of sink into your psyche a little bit and then and then process that and let it let it evolve however you want to but yeah god just take it sometimes just sometimes you just got to stop talking and you know i love that because we haven't had that as a piece of advice before um Mm. but it's been one really massive step for me as Mm. well when i just i mean the point of the podcast was to listen to others instead of harping on it myself in my head um because sometimes when you go round and round in your own head you want to push your boundaries where you're not ready to push yeah or you've not ironed out something which will impact you later on in life whether it's yeah. mindfully or spiritually or work yeah. related it'll crop up if you don't learn to listen to yourself and what's right at the time yeah i think so and i think you know you have to you have to always remind yourself irrespective of 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 motorcycles or anything else but you have to remind yourself that you always have choices yeah you know everybody has a choice at any given moment about what they're saying what they're thinking and this is what a lot of people forget and you know mental health at the moment is something that's so important um you can choose what you think yeah. You know, like you either open that door and let it step through your into your mind or you close that door and you keep it on the outside. Yeah. And, you know, that's down to you. It's not down to anybody else. And you just, you know, those choices, those choices could be life or death, really. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, not just from any perspective. Yeah. And um, if I if I can talk candidly. I'm going to just tell you a story about what just happened at the weekend. Yeah. So I will say that it's quite graphic. Um, and I'm not going to hold back because I think it's quite important. But we were 6.30 in the morning driving to an event. We'd driven down one part of the road. And out of the corner of my eye, I'd seen a motorcycle pull out of a housing estate. So I turned and I looked at it and I watched him pull out of this housing estate. And I thought, he's a bit keen. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's that instant yeah. judgment. Awful thing to say. Judgment. He's a bit keen. It's a bit lively for 6.30 in the morning and it's a bit chilly. And he's not wearing any proper gear. Anyway, so he goes that way. We go round roundabout, join the dual carriageway. A minute and a half later, we see some trainers in the road. Oh, God. 100 metres down the line. Christ, there's a body in the road. Oh. Is he dead? So, And then we see the bike. And it's the guy that I've just seen come out of it. So this guy's helmet <laughs> had come off. Because he hadn't, it wasn't a full face helmet. Mm. He hadn't done his chin strap up. Helmet's come off, we think. And he's, and at the point at which we find him, his torso is up on the curb and on the verge and his legs are in the road. And he has a very curb sized hole in the back of his head. Mm. And, and you know, he was, <laughs> he was just about breathing. But um, you could tell. You know, like, unfortunately, you just know when that's an automatic response and you know that there's not not much going to come good out of that situation. Um, and 
I got back in the car, you know, the police arrived, paramedics arrived, roads closed, blah, blah, blah. So Dale and I were first on scene to that. We were the first two people mm. to go up and look at him and go, Christ, okay, this isn't good. There's a big old hole in the back of his head. Mm. Um, and there's blood bubbling out of his ears and blood bubbling out of his nose. And it's just, yeah, there's, there's stuff happening that just shouldn't be happening. And I get back in the car and I'm like, he made some bad choices this morning. Yeah. He made some bad choices at the point at which he chose not to do his chin strap up, or he made some bad choices at the point at which he didn't wear a jacket, he didn't wear proper tray. You know, he was in tracksuit bottoms, a uh, <sighs> soft shell jacket, neoprene like mechanic type gloves. And I'm like, if he'd have worn a helmet, if he'd have worn a proper helmet and he'd done his chin strap up, he'd be alive. Mm. And he's got six kids. Oh. 35 years old. Six kids died because oh of God. that choice. And that's what I mean, you know, so it, it's a very, very grave conversation to have. But it's such a, a necessary one. Yeah. one because I've listened to all of your other podcasts and and I've kind of gone, I'm really glad they're having that conversation about kit and gear and how important it is and how it's not just about convenience or style or whatever. But yes, you know, why can't you have both but still be damn safe? But you've got to put it on. Yeah, you no, I, I learned that a stupid, not a stupid way, but I've learned that as I've gone along. So I was learning with my part, my ex-partner yeah. um, and I didn't do ever do my chin strap up. Oh God, do it up. And <laughs> Yeah, no. And uh, I was pillion at first, um, mm-hmm. but then when I started riding, he started explaining to me the severities of all sorts of things. And yeah. I learned, because yeah. I used to, um, I'd, I'd drop my helmet a few times. Like it was just, I was just oh, like, oh, okay. Put it back on your head. Yeah, it is what it is. And as I got and I started to learn more and see more and experience more, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere without that chin strap up. Because I I don't like things over my face. I, mm. I get quite claustrophobic. Um, it just suddenly happens. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can control it if I'm thinking, uh, like, processing a bit. If something catches me off guard, I can get quite claustrophobic. Yeah. And with the helmet on, that's quite difficult because I just want to keep imagine. opening my visor. Yeah. Um, so I can't, I, I struggle with ballys and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And um, the chin strap for me was stress, especially with the jacket and everything. But then knowing that, wait, that's going to save my life. Because I, one of the reasons why I set this up as well, because I got quite pissed off that I saw a girl that I knew of. And she was like, oh, I've got my really nice helmet here from this company. And it's a great helmet. Mm. Then she was like, but if you can't afford it, you can go on eBay and you can buy a really cheap one. And I just... Yeah, that's why I stress the importance of like gear because you don't want to be going to just buy the cheap helmet because yeah. it's your life. If you're if you're not willing to replace that helmet every few years or when you've dropped it or when you yeah. you know if you're not willing to do all those things, you're not ready to ride yeah, yeah. because you need to be replacing your gear, you need to be maintaining your gear, you need to make sure that everything's done upright. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I get I get my business partner or my, my best friend or my partner to zip me up and make mm-hmm. sure everything's done because I can't be bothered because it's it's so much effort sometimes. Oh, God, isn't it a faff? Yeah, and you're just like it's like an extra. 50 15 minutes to get the gear on and god help you if you need the bathroom yeah. right oh. so it's like don't even talk to me i have the yeah. most, i have the most pointlessly small bladder in the world right let me tell you about the heartache and hell of having to do a bushwee in a one-piece leather oh my, oh my good lord i have not experienced that yet thank god oh. but honestly i just i will hold myself till mercy like we will we're going to my 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 
my partner's parents' house. Yeah. And it's a good hour and a bit and I, I will not I will not need the toilet. I will not get off. I don't need to take my helmet off. I just need to get there. Just, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to faff. I don't want cuz also if you if you're when you when you're getting ready at home and you yeah. kind of get it on nicely, then you go out and you take off your glove or something it doesn't fit back in properly and oh, you're just like, yeah, oh. I know. Why doesn't ever just, you know, at the point at which you've stopped for for that comfort break? Uh, why doesn't it all just go back on? Yeah, why? <laughs> or there's that strand of hair that's escaped oh, and you're just like don't help me <laughs> oh i think i said to you earlier about this this fresh hell of having long hair um which i've never had in my life before but god you need to have it plaited on a bike otherwise and tucked you can it in kiss goodbye to an hour of your life yeah. trying to brush that i have to out. tuck it in and on the way back there was this bit <laughs> flying out and i was trying to protect oh, it like, yeah. no, like please don't do this to me but yeah the, the importance of gear yeah um yeah, yeah. The things I didn't realise. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, how's the helmet going to fall off my head? Like, is it really going to happen? Yeah, it does. And then... It only takes a bit of wind. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, my mate's partner didn't think I'd become a rider like myself until I kind of showed up and was like, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, then he was like, you do know the importance. And then on to, to take me the other side of the spectrum, he would then dress me up in all his gear, which was like <laughs> massive. And I'd be driving down like a little side road yeah. at like 10 o'clock at night learning but I had this massive Danese like two te- two piece textile um, set on and yeah, yeah. I was strapped into everything and I looked like a mar- I have a video somewhere but I looked like a marshmallow woman just <laughs> like on the bike yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it was like okay safe I'm safe. Oh, it's got to be safe. Yeah. And you've got to um, think about those yeah. choices that, you know that you make. We live near so. Ace and we constantly hear of I, I call them. I'd call them ego drivers, yeah, riders. Yeah. Um, constantly on the rideouts, they they had they had to be airlifted, and they're young people. And you, okay. community's so small, and you hear about that. So, yeah, the importance of gear, but wearing it properly, yeah. getting those zips up. Um, and if you know, coming from if if you're claustrophobic, but you can't look past it, then you, it's not for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't I'm risk really that that health. Yeah. Um, God, I feel like I could chat to you forever. Um, I am so grateful for you to come on. I've really enjoyed it. I feel like I've made a really good friend. Oh, thank you, mate. Um, appreciate it. I feel like I'm going to be messaging you all the time about things. Like, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me. You know, as I say, like, we've talked about so many other things, which has been amazing, but, like, we haven't really covered the physio or the therapy side of things. But, you know, that's what yeah. it's there for. Like I said at the start, there is the facility if you come off well, obviously you're not going to go through that process now because you got my number and I would expect you to be picking up the phone saying <laughs> I've hurt this what do I do mm-hmm. and I'll either say we'll try this this and this or I think I need to see you come in and let's have a chat yeah. or I can't help you with that one but here's the person that can yeah. and that's the options that I fully expect you to be taking but there is that you know as I say there's that facility for everyone else as well and I will just say that I'm constantly surprised now that it still happens even with racers. So I've got two guys. One's a TT racer. One is a super stock racer, I think, or super, I can't remember. Um, Both of which have had catastrophically bad accidents. One broke his back. One has got a leg that's been snapped in however many pieces. And both of them are like, well, the NHS have just said that we we shouldn't ride bikes anymore. So what, what do we do? And one, you know, and all of a sudden they're, I'm like, where do these people go you know how can they get the best support properly uh, the best possible support to be able to get back out and race by somebody who actually kind of understands that and who isn't going to do what my physio did which is we'll just stop riding bikes i think that's what's most important though because um 
the um, NHS are only designed to get you to a living standard. Yeah. They're not designed for you to go back out there and, you know, do the most. Exactly. And so. the A&E side of things is just phenomenal. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, there's nothing like it in the world. And we are so fortunate. But it is everything that happens once you're out of there where I think the shortfall comes. And I think the flip side of that is that you've got to be able to talk to somebody to say, not just about, oh, I've broken my shoulder, or, you know, I've done this or I've done that or I've hurt this, what do I do now? You know, there's so many facets of, actually, do you know what, when you've broken a bone, you've got to eat like 5,000 calories a day. You've got to up your calorie intake. You've got to keep your protein intake up. You've got to rest. um, But then you also need to keep moving, you know, so there's a fine balance and these are the things that you can do safely. There's so much of that, but there's also that I can't work what do I do? My insurance won't pay out. Where do I go to talk about the fact that I'm enormously stressed by this situation and my, and my mental health is suffering now because I'm, I've got this mass, I've got a family to, field, yeah. to, to, to feed and I can't work and what happens? And there isn't anywhere to go. And I think where I could see and where I want this to go is the, an infrastructure of um, therapists up and down the country where there is... A safe haven for people to go for for treatments and for somewhere to talk about the practical sides of what it's like to live if you can't work and your insurance doesn't pay out yeah. and, you know that kind of stuff so yeah because knowing where to go with the your business and how you're expanding that's also really cool to know um like i said i feel like i'm going to talk to you for forever um and yeah, also, because when you come out of something that's quite traumatic, mm. be it a small break or sprain or whatever it could be, mm. um, emotionally, that can knock you for six, depending on what's going out in your life. Sometimes you just need to be in, I suppose, the easy sense of the word, mummied, back to health. Sometimes you just need somebody to care enough, you know? It's just that to whole give me the list of, yeah. this is what you do, this yeah. is where you, what you eat, exactly. stick to it, yeah. because sometimes the thinking is the part that is debilitating yeah. yeah and i know that when it comes to losing weight or anything if you're yeah. not in the right frame of mind for it it's so tough yeah to um even after i broke my hand i was um i was i did a lot of art so i used to mm. draw quite a lot for years and now i've got this spock um this spock like yeah. m- he sits on the other side of the room to me and goes why is there a huge gap between your two fingers that everyone's going to notice it um ridiculously elegant fingers i might say like, <laughs> i don't you're you just unbelievably better. glamorous i think you might be the most glamorous person oh, no. i've ever cut eyes on it's ridiculous and you smell as good as you look oh great i've only just realized how ridiculously elegant your hands are oh that's a good sign then so they won't look, look at the spock the spock thing in between i wouldn't have noticed that if you hadn't because for ages i had yeah. the fingers banded together but nobody yeah, yeah. taught me how to even the on my back went they were just like oh you're not gonna be able to horse ride anymore you're not gonna be able to do this you're not going yeah, to do that see, i don't like that i spent ages yeah. upset. my mum would go what are you doing upstairs because she'd hear me thumping because i'd be constantly the only thing i i thought of was to do the complete opposite of what i was told i couldn't do yeah. so i was in my room trying to do the crab every evening until one day i managed yeah, yeah. and i became super flexible Good. Because I just yeah. kept at it, and with drawing, it's a, still a tough one. I hate writing, yeah, um, because I suddenly get a cramp, and in cold weather, riding yeah. it it 
really seizes up but I'm very good at pushing through it but it's having the support to turn to when my shoulder went all this of those things exactly. um yeah. I just thought oh, I just have to live with it put cream on it no, see what happens you don't have to and, and this is my point and and you don't have to live with it obviously there will be some things that you do have to live with yeah there, there that's always going to happen but there's but the support there. there is support there and you know I've written three books now maybe oh, four have books you? that are all available for free on the website Incredible. what to do if you crash what to do if you've got con- concussion what to do if you're you gonna break have to a bone send me the links i'm gonna include them at the bottom yeah and they're just they're just useful little bits of information that give you if you have a if you have a broken bone and you even if you have surgery you don't have surgery whatever that outcome is on a clinical basis these are the things that you could be doing that you're in control of that will help you get better more efficiently than if you didn't do any of it at all so yeah. it talks about diet it talks about exercise it talks about self care it talks about mental health and that giving yourself that time to process the information but you know as as i say it's just because that information isn't there you have a crash and it was really aimed at track day riders that one because it happens so often and i can't tell you how many times i've heard this that whole thing of oh, i had a crash last year hurt my shoulder still really hurts now and like you know yeah. it bothers me when i'm on my bike but you know i just get on with it a lot of the girls i've spoken to. to they've you been like yeah to. i've got a bit of a bad shoulder oh yeah this is and this and this but it's like i'm pretty sure if you knew the right exercises and the right things even myself exactly you'd be fine yeah and and that and i think you know that's also a direction that i want to go in is digital rehab so i'm in the process i've done one already um which is a program that you can buy for back pain so chronic back pain it's a really different way like i come at things very holistically when i treat thing uh, any ailment really but um especially things that are quite complex like back pain um it's a program you can buy and uh you download it and it gives you everything from the you know it gives you a, a book to, to supplement it with information on what might be happening what it means to you what how you can understand what's happening and then obviously just a series of videos so again i want to do the same thing for the people that are are that that person who i came off my bike i hurt my shoulder i went to the med center they cleared me i couldn't ride my bike but i'm all right i went to work the next day but it's just giving me a bit of do you know what i can it that's that's bread and butter for me i can really easily give you a 12-week program that you can do yourself yeah, and you're going to be investment. S- and yeah, it's going to be so much actually, more. My partner's actually he's suffers really badly from back pain. I'm going to have a look into that and I'll get him to. Link. Yes, you'll have to because he's been. I got him into yoga for a little while. Oh, yoga's brilliant. But he was Love exhausted it. from it because he. But his back was slightly improved. Yeah. But if he had, a, I think, a program to follow. Yeah. Um, I think that would help him more because he's quite he's directed if he knows the outcome of something then he will follow it through I th- yeah and so. i think that's exactly the right thing is that you want to you want to give people the chance to achieve a better outcome and you want to educate people about the fact that that outcome is possible for them you don't always have to just take it on the chin accept what you're told and go oh all right yeah. then you know from the nhs despair, yeah. exactly you've got options available to you and you, there's so much that you can do to help yourself even if you haven't got the money to go down the private road and, and yeah. pay for pi- private treatments and it's that niche of people really or that demographic of people that i want to help because i was that person and you know it's so important from my perspective that people are empowered with choice and empowered with knowledge and empowered with opportunity to take control of their own outcome 
especially yeah. with injuries. I love that. So we want to educate people about what they can do. What does this injury mean to that person? And you, you know, and you don't realise this. And this, I find myself saying this on a daily basis to however many people that walk through a clinic door. That you're worth it. You know, the body, our bodies, are the vessels by which we experience every single second of life, good and bad. Whether we're sleeping, whether we're getting married, whether we're sitting here doing a chat, you know, it does. All of that's being experienced through our body. The things that we spend all this money on, the track days, the bikes, the cars, the holidays, it's all experienced through our body. But you know what? We'll spend the money on a track day. We'll spend the money on an exhaust for the bike. We'll spend the money on tyres. We won't spend the money on getting treatment to make our back better or fixing our shoulder. And you're way more worth it than the bike is because without your body, you're not going to experience that anyway. Yeah. It's the most, it's the single most valuable asset that you will ever, ever, ever own. Your house doesn't don't, matter. Don't None wait of until it. you're so far gone. Exactly. Before you, before you really exactly. Because you're it is, it. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. And the, and the point at which you live with this pain, you, you don't realise how debilitating it is and how exhausting it is to live with pain on a daily basis yeah. for an amount of time. Until you're not there anymore I, and you're honestly, freed from it. seriously, the shoulder for, I think it's been a month now, Yeah, it would just creep up on me and the amount of sleep I've needed just randomly through the day because just the pain is just exhausting. Yeah, it will be. And um, no, I've, I've gone through a few s- situations like that to the point where I did start yoga and implementing yeah, those yeah. things a few years ago because of my back um, and the difference that made and it's committing to it and and realizing that you need that scheduled time that yeah. hour 20 minutes 10 minutes whatever it might be makes such a difference in it's how you do everything you know it's it's and i think for a lot of people and i find again you know it's anecdotal it's not based on any science but so many people are, are reluctant to do that to take mm-hmm. that time out to do their yoga or do their stretching or go for a massage or whatever it is that makes them feel good because they feel guilty about yes. that and I can't tell you how many people like, I've had this problem for uh, years and I can't, I've got two kids and, you know, and I just got to get it. I'm like, when an aeroplane's crashing, they, tell you, to they tell you to put your own oxygen mask on before you try and help anyone else because you are no use to anyone if you're scrabbling out on the all floor. The time. Exactly. She says it to me all the time. What? You've got your kids. What use are you going to be if you're on the floor gasping for breath? There was one more that I heard of, which was, um, what did it say? It said something like, um, you refuse to do the workouts and the meditation that you need. Yeah. Um, because your life's too hectic. When if you did the workout and the meditation, your life wouldn't be that hectic anyway. 100%. Thank you so much <laughs> i've really enjoyed having you here and i'm thank you over the moon with what you've shared i think it's been one of the most informative we've had where oh, directed you. people and totally worth the hassle getting you on <laughs> um, something you should get dale on to be yes i i think I, we're gonna have to now because you've talked about him so much <laughs> they're gonna need to see dale um we'll, the man, we'll, the myth and we'll the legend. organize that maybe have you both on <laughs> 
Um, but thank you again so much. Oh, thank and you. It's been such a pleasure. Guys, I'm going to put all of Vanda's details at the bottom, the the books, whatever. I'll get it all off her. Um, if you want to have a look into her business, um, all the many facilities that her and Dell do, I'll make sure that's available to you as well. Drop her a follow. She's thank super you. lovely to talk to. So also drop her a message. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. And like, share and subscribe if you enjoyed this. Um, And we look forward to having you guys on the next one. Bye.